So last week, if you were here, um, I I didn't play fair. Um, you remember when I made the statement? Uh, not 152 fish, not 154 fish, but 153 fish. And I just kind of left it there. And I, I knew. Y'all know Eric, actually? Okay. I, I knew Eric was just salivating, hyperventilating. His wife was holding him in his seat. And so I just looked the other way. So in fairness to Eric, Eric, come up here. And grab Robert's microphone. (laughs) All right. So, Eric is going to tell you why it wasn't 152 fish. It wasn't 154 fish. It was 153 fish. Well, good morning, Riverstone. (laughs) All right. Now I got your attention. So, why not 152? Why not 153? Well, all of God's word is truth. And it's there by no accident, right? So why 153? Both in Hebrew and Greek, each numeric value or each letter has a numeric value attached to it. So in Greek, 153 has IXO, which is an abbreviation of an acrostic of Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior. Right, that? so the disciples are not Greek, right? They're good old Jewish country boys. <laughs> I never heard it, heard it put quite that way, but yeah. <laughs> they even wore belt buckles. <laughs> so being Jewish, um, counting the fish, how did that represent who Jesus was? If you look at some verses afterwards, it says that they knew who he was but was too afraid to ask. Well, in Judaism, if a phrase repeats itself multiple times, they'll take those values, the number values, and uh, they will add those up. So there's a phrase in the Old Testament that repeats itself quite a few times. So here's an example of that phrase. So being a good person, I thought I'd test this this out with a rabbi in the old city of Jerusalem. Went into him and I said, uh, hey, uh, rabbi, what does 153 mean to you? Now, that would be like me coming to you and go, hey, as a Christian, what does the number three mean to you? And so he looks at me and goes, Eric, this one's easy. 153, it means I am the Lord, your God. Wow. So it was simple to him. So Jesus was showing the disciples, even with fish, 153 of them, that he is their Lord and God. Amen. And so some other interesting facts about this, the Passover, meaning the one for in Egypt, the very first one, when you add that up in Hebrew, it equals 153. Wow. If you take God's most sacred name, that's only said once a year in the uh, the Holy of Holies by the high priest, and uh, it uh, occurs 153 times. times in the book of Genesis. Wow. Now, God's word is awesome, it's good, and if this doesn't get you excited, your wood's wet. (laughs) How about that? Yeah, that's good stuff. Thank you, Eric. Eric is going to be my rabbi now. Perfect. All right. So, next week, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, future. If we were going to give it a title, maybe we would call it 2020 Vision. 
um, because we're creative. Um, And nobody's ever said that before. Um, But really, you know, we've we've had the same vision of Riverstone for 18 years. And the vision is not changing, but we always want uh, to tweak and improve and get better uh, so that we can uh, be more effective in the things that God has called us uh, to do and, and really uh, to, to move fuller, more fully and, and deeper into who God has called us to be. And so we'll be talking about that a little bit next week. And, and I say that this week because I, I know it's not any of you, but some people don't come to church every Sunday. And uh, so I would say for you to tell those people to be here next week, okay? So, perfect. We'd love for everybody to be here uh, next Sunday so that you uh, can join us as we uh, believe the Lord uh, for good things for 2020. All right? Last week, we talked a little bit about uh, what to do when you're offended. And uh, some of you, I've talked with you, and you, you had the opportunity this week to practice what I preached. And... Uh, Sorry about that, but I mean, it's just the way it is. You know, it's the life that we live in. In fact, um, I have people ask me from time to time, you know, when I, when I preach on a certain thing, they assume that it's because of something that's happened that week. You know, I'm responding, reacting to something. And I try not to be a reactionary preacher. I'd rather be an actuary, actionary preacher, not an actuary. What is it? <laughs> exactly. Words are so incredible. Um, but, I, but I did think that since today where I want to go is the importance of forgiveness. And so um, I did have a couple of people in mind. And so I'm going to put your pictures on the screen. <laughs> no. It's everybody. It's all of us. Uh, if you want to know who the message today is for, just look around. Look around you. Look up here. Look behind you, and then if you have a phone that has, you know, that'll show you yourself, that might be the place that you want to look first, is just in the mirror. Uh, this is for all of us. So we talked about last week uh, what to do when you're offended, and today we want to talk a little bit about uh, forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness. A few years ago, I preached a sermon about things I see when I close my eyes. Things that I see when I close my eyes. And and one of those things was I I see a group of people living life together at a deeper level than they ever expected. I see a group of people living life together at a deeper level than they ever expected. And, And the reason that I believe God for that is because at Riverstone we believe that the kingdom of God is primarily relational. It's primary relational, not simply functional. In other words, it's about who we are with each other, not just what we do. Uh, We believe that we were made for community. And one of the things that we've discovered is that community doesn't just happen. Uh, Graham Cook said, the dream of God has always been to live in the hearts of his people. Not just in individual hearts, but in the corporate heart. Uh, The reason that we know that that is true is because of God's uh, focus and intentionality when it comes to unity and and family. Uh, The Word of God talks a lot about 
family, and it talks a lot about unity. And, and in fact, Jesus, uh, when he prayed for those that followed him, the number one thing that he prayed for them is that they would be one, that they would be one with him just like he was one with the Father. It's a big deal. He, God loves unity. Uh, but community is not something that just happens. Uh, it's something that has to be pursued. And, and in fact, community is something that comes to us uh, when we pursue love. And when we, we, love, we pursue loving relationships, uh, we have more of a chance of moving into that, that place of community. Now, the problem in American culture is that we have learned that when relationship is difficult or unpleasant, the answer is to quit and look for one that's easier. And when it comes to life in general, and, and I, would, I would say uh, the body of Christ in particular, uh, that doesn't work. Quitting and going and looking for the easy kind uh, it just doesn't work. If we are to find true community, we have to be willing to work through difficulties. We have to be willing to push through the difficult things. The church is called to be a place of healing and a place of redemption, uh, a place where broken relationships are restored. And, and I believe more than any other place on the planet, uh, the church should be a forgiving, healing place where hurts and differences can be overcome. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about the necessity of forgiveness in the church. And before we do that, we're going to read uh, from Matthew chapter 18, uh, beginning at verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Hang on one second, Eric. Another day, okay? Another day. Okay. Therefore, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours. Because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, 
his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now let's pray. God, I I pray uh, that you would speak to us today from your word, uh, that you would give us understanding. I pray that our hearts will be open uh, to hear what you have to say. And and I pray that our ears uh, would be able to hear your truth. Uh, We love you, God. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, The purpose of the cross is to make possible the reconciliation of people to God. Uh, And God is is so committed to reconciliation that he was willing for Jesus to die uh, in order to make it possible. uh, To suffer and to die in order to make it possible. And, And the reason this is so is because God is so full of love. God is so love that his nature is to forgive. His heart is for reconciliation. But the thing that we have to realize when we start to to deal with forgiveness and and start to to push into it and try to grasp it and understand it and, and actually try to learn how to practice it is that apart from the grace of God, our heart is not to forgive. It's just not. That's not the way our heart is bent. That's not the way that we lean. Typically, typically, uh, when we have been wronged, uh, we respond in a different way uh, than God does. Uh, we would never choose forgiveness unless we were first forgiven. We, just, we never would. If, if you believe that in and of yourself you would opt for forgiveness... Uh, You don't understand the mercy of God and the grace of God because it is his grace towards us that even makes it possible for us to make that choice. Uh, Typically, when we've been wronged, uh, we would respond in one of three ways. Uh, Number one, we would seek revenge. You know the old saying, I I, I don't get mad, I get even. That's our our nature is is to get revenge. Uh, a, A second way that we might respond is to hide or withdraw. And we do this for a couple of reasons. One is to protect ourselves. We think if I hide or withdraw, I won't get hurt again. But also hiding and withdrawing to a place of solitude is a great place for a pity party. And so we we like to do that as well. And then a third thing that we do sometimes when we've been hurt or wronged is we, we indulge in hatred. So revenge, hiding, or hating. Uh, and when we choose hatred, we let bitterness and resentment take over, and we just stew and we boil. Uh, as Christians, we are forgiven people, but we can never fully appreciate and enjoy God's forgiveness unless we're willing to forgive others. One of the basic things that we have to understand about our relationship with God is that there are things about our relationship with God, or there are things about God that are unconditional, okay? God's love is unconditional. God has always loved you and will always love you fully. It's unconditional. 
But we sometimes we apply characteristics of one aspect of God to other things. And Scripture is pretty clear that when it comes to forgiveness, there are some conditions. When it comes to favor, there tend to be some conditions. And that's why God says throughout his word, if you do this, I will do this. That, that sounds like a condition to me. And so don't apply just the this, this standard of everything in your relationship with God as being unconditional. Because what that will result in is you will just assume that everything is going to be great for you and you have no responsibility in it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do it like this if you do. Okay. All right. So uh, before we talk about what forgiveness, why forgiveness is important, let me just mention quickly uh, what forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is not a feeling. Uh, forgiveness is not pretending that you were not hurt. Forgiveness is not saying that what the other person did wasn't wrong. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. And forgiveness is not ransom or probation. You know what ransom and probation are, right? That's where you say, I forgive you, but if you ever do it again, I'll kill you. <laughs> it just comes up just a little bit short of forgiveness. So simply, forgiveness would be choosing to release feelings of resentment and vengeance towards those who've harmed you. It's a choice. It's a choice that you make. Now, the good news for us is that when we make the choice, supernatural things happen. If it was just a choice, it would still have some merit. But as believers, the fact that when we make that choice, supernatural things happen is a game changer. And this is the thing that we want to get hold of. And this is really the place that I want to go to today when I say this, that it's important that we learn to forgive, that it's important for you and I to be people who choose forgiveness. Here are some of the reasons. Number one, uh, we need to forgive because if we don't, we block God's forgiveness. We block God's forgiveness. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, that sounds really hard, and we have a hard time hearing that. We have a hard time believing that. We have a hard time fitting that into our theological box. And so I just want to give you a disclaimer. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. And so there it is, right there. Uh, it's hard to hear, but Jesus said it, and he, he not only said it, he went on to illustrate it in parables. The parable that we read today was an illustration that he gave to illustrate this very thing. There is an incredible connection when it comes to the kingdom of God. There is an incredible connection between this and this. You know what I'm saying? You cannot separate your relationship to God from your relationship with his people. Can't do it. They are forever, eternally connected. 
And so if I say I am living in an incredibly intimate and passionate relationship with, the, with God, everything in my spiritual life is awesome, but the people in the world, <laughs> I can't say that word, can I? We have a filter up here. The people in the world drive me crazy. I don't like anybody. People have hurt me, and I hope they burn in hell. I am delusional. I'm delusional. Okay? Now, I'm not saying you don't have moments where, where you think that. But I'm saying that if you live constantly in a world where you have Broken relationships here, hatred, anger, animosity, jealousy, revenge thoughts all the time here, and you, but you think everything is good here. You are deceiving yourself. It can't be true because this relationship and this, these relationships are always connected. When we don't forgive, it will block our relationship with God. It will affect our relationship with him. A second reason that we need to choose forgiveness is because if we don't, we will suffer. We will suffer. Living in resentment and anger and bitterness will make you sick. It will. It'll make you sick. It'll make you sick physically. Uh, Psalm 32, 3 says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Just waste away? Yeah, that's not a fun thing. It will make you sick emotionally. If you live your life in the stress and the anger of unforgiveness, it will steal your life from you. It will definitely steal your joy from you. It will cause you to suffer spiritually. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not heal you. That doesn't sound like a good thing. Spiritual famine will occur in your life if you live with a heart of unforgiveness. Matthew 5 says that unforgiveness will actually affect your worship. It says in Matthew 5, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So unforgiveness, whether it's the need to be forgiven or the need to forgive, has an impact, has an effect on your worship. And then also... You'll suffer relationally. If you choose to live in unforgiveness, or rather, if you do not choose to live in forgiveness, this is, this is one of those principles that is so true. You have to choose to live in forgiveness. And if you do not make the active choice of living in forgiveness, you are actually choosing to live in unforgiveness. Because that will be your natural lean. Unless 
you choose grace, unless you choose mercy. It will cause you trouble relationally. Uh, Not only are we estranged from the one that we haven't forgiven, but we have a tendency to avoid other relationships to make sure that we don't get hurt again. So that has an impact on us relationally. And then, I don't know if you, if you know this or not, but when you choose not to forgive person A, you're not a lot of fun for person B. <laughs> because it starts to have an impact on your life. And it has an impact on the way that you do all of your relationships. And you may think it's isolated to that one person that you're mad at, but it actually seeps into all of your relationships. So not forgiving blocks God's forgiveness and causes us to suffer. And then a third thing is that it opens the door to demonic activity. Okay, I have everybody's attention now. They're like, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't care about people. I mean, I can live without people, but let's not bring the devil into this. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, if, you're, if in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're, you are still angry. Now, we usually end it right there. We usually end it right there and we're like, okay, that, what that verse means is that when you and your wife have a fight, you have to say, I'm sorry, before you go to bed. Right? I mean, that's, that's the way we live it, right? I mean, Bob Newhart has an episode that's all about that. And so we, we forget that last phrase, and do not give the devil a foothold. And do not give the devil a foothold. Let me just say, if the devil is wreaking havoc in your life, it's because you left the door open. Now, I'm not talking about, is he opposing you? If you're doing good, he will oppose you. There's a difference between the devil's opposition and him wreaking havoc in your life. If he's wreaking havoc in your life, it's because you left the door open. You ever had a fly get in your house? Drives you stinking crazy. Flies in your house and, and not everything else stops, right? Everything else stops. You can't do anything else. Until that fly is dead. And I'm, I'm sorry for the pacifists in the room, but flies deserve to be killed when they're in the house. If there's, a, you know, if you leave a door open, they come in the house. I don't know why. Maybe they like air conditioning too. But if you leave a door open, the flies will come in the house. If you leave a door open through unforgiveness, Guess who's coming in your house? Slewfoot. Beelzebub. Whatever you want to call him. He's coming. He's going to come in your house and he's going to wreak havoc because you left the door open. And you have to close that door through forgiveness. Now, the fourth reason, the fourth reason that we need to forgive, and this is painfully obvious, we need to forgive 
because people, people are messed up. People are messed up. Not us, everybody else. <laughs> people are messed up. We're messed up. People need forgiveness. People need forgiveness. Guys, I need to be forgiven. I need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. We need to be forgiven. And if we're going to live our lives in a healthy way, in a healthy relationship with God, in a healthy relationship with each other, we have to learn to choose forgiveness, not resentment, not revenge, not anger, forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we ignore each other's faults. Forgiveness is simply learning to deal with each other's faults in a Christ-like way. I would say that there are two statements that if we can learn to walk in these statements, it would change the world. Not just change Riverstone, not just change Kennesaw, not just Cobb County. It would change the world. If we could learn two phrases, not just to say them, but to really embrace them, say them, live them, love them. Two phrases. Phrase number one. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Phrase number two, I forgive you. Let's start over. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I forgive you. Let's start over. Guys, those those two phrases would change the world. And the world is looking at the church and wondering, if there's anything about us that's different. And if they just saw that, it might be enough to make them ask, how did you learn to do that? And then we could say, well, I was taught by the master. I was taught by the one who is the best at it. The one who is the best at saying, I forgive you. Let's start over. There are times, every one of us, every one of us, if we're really honest, there, we have times, I don't know if it's daily, but I would, I would guess it's at least weekly where we need to just stop and look at the people that are closest to us and say, ah, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And you know, it may not be a specific thing. It may just be that you checked out for a while. It may just be that you lived selfishly for a few days or a week or a month or a decade. And, and you need to stop and say, oh, man, I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I will tell you, just, just you know, in a glimpse of, of, of transparency, the most powerful moment of my week, this past week, 
is when I was by myself one night, I just closed my eyes and I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't even know where I've been. This week, I've just been disconnected. I'm sorry. We need to learn. Years ago, there was a, a movie called Love Story. You know, anybody old enough to remember? And the subtitle of the story was Love Means Never Having to Say You're Sorry. Let me just tell you, whoever came up with that has no clue. Love means learning to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Now let's pray.